1: What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And if you didn't know, because every week there's a new listener, right? Every day there's someone discovering Living Corporate. So I'm going to just let everybody know. And then for those who've been rocking with us for a while, I'm going to remind y'all too. Living Corporate is a digital media network and we exist to center and amplify black and brown people at work. That's what we do. Okay, we are the voice of the people. We're not really here to promote corporations or protect them or be some type of like. I don't know, corporate, reputational, launder, laundering service. Like, that's not what we do, right? When we have brands on to talk about black and brown people at work, um, when we have executives, activists, elected officials, public servants, influencers, artists, etc., we have any of these types of people on, we're going to be centering and amplifying black and brown experiences. And if that brand happens to... Do that work and really be authentic in that space, then we will speak to them. And you can best believe that when they come on this stage, on this platform, we're not pulling any punches. We're having real conversations. You know what I'm saying? Like that is what Living Corporate is all about. I'm so excited about where Living Corporate is. I'm excited about this episode you're about to hear, this conversation you're about to hear. Um, and, you know, I just want you to know. That I love you. I appreciate you. Make sure that you follow Living Corporate everywhere we exist. You know what I'm saying? You just type in just Google Living Corporate. I ain't about to rattle off all the social media handles. You know what I mean? Like if you just go on Google or whatever searching you use, because that's not an ad either. Um, <laughs> whatever you use, uh, ask Jeeves, Bing, Yahoo. I don't know what Microsoft Edge. Whatever you're using, just type in Living Corporate and we're going to pop up right now. Look, what you're listening to is Real Talk Tuesdays. You're listening to um, one show that's part of a larger network. Right. And so what you're going to if you check us out, you look at our website, living dash corporate, please say the dash dot com, you'll see that we actually have a network of shows. Right. Um, All focused on centering and amplifying black and brown folks at work with different lenses. Right. So shout out to the entire team. Um, as our shows continue to come, you will hear about it, but make sure you plug in so you can just stay in tune. That way you don't have to try to catch up. You can just be caught up as you're catching on. You know what I'm saying? Now, um, with that being said, I'm excited about this conversation you're about to hear. I want you to pay attention and make sure that you click the links in the show notes to learn more about what we're doing and where we're going. I'll see you soon. Tiffany Daniels, welcome. How are you doing?
0: I am doing very well, Zach. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thank you for having me.
1: Listen, I am so excited as well. You know, we recently, uh, we've been having a few folk, different folks on um, on Living Corporate this season. Um, and I've been excited about having people on who are really Connecting the dots between grassroots engagement, community building, and like corporate mobilization, mm. right? Like that, mm. that excites me conceptually. And I believe it helps to just paint a, a clearer picture as to like really what's going on. You know, I I, I, I want to start with um, your journey. You know, of course, you're an executive, you're a leader um, at the Minnesota Business Coalition for Racial Equity right? That is your, like, that is, that's your, you the Don Dada over there, right? You, (laughs) right? You, you, you are, you her everywhere, but you her over there for sure. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing there. But, but before we do that, I just want to understand what led you to take before, like what led you up to the point that you are today?
0: Mm. It's such a good question because I feel like when you're in impact work, you spend a good amount of time reflecting on your journey because it it requires a lot of you, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's tugging on all aspects of you. Um, And retrospectively, I think my entire life was designed for this very moment. Mm. That it has been leading me here. I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. That's my home, born and raised. What up, Doe? What up, though? Uh, and um, I was raised by a single mom in Detroit who was really active in community, right? One of the earliest lessons I remember from my mom, and this was more through action than her words, was you can raise your voice and you can make a difference. I mean, my mom was going to the school board meetings just, you know, as a community member. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just had that. I carried that with me. And so I was always, you know, feeling a responsibility to the place around me to make it better in whatever way that was. I did my undergraduate career at the University of Missouri, so I left the city of Detroit and I moved to central Missouri. Mm. Okay. Which was a culture shock for me and a lot of people around me. (laughs) And then I moved to Minneapolis and I moved to Minneapolis really for, I mean, it was a job opportunity, but I had not planned on staying here. It was meant to be temporary. And I've been here now 15 years. I moved here for an internship opportunity. It was going to be 10 weeks. I started my career in advertising on the agency side. Um, And what was really at that point driving me to go into advertising was I wanted to play a role in evolving how black and brown people, especially black women, were portrayed in media. Right. We didn't really have the positive stories and, you know, the beautiful examples of all the dimensions of black womanhood in the media or in ads or things like that. And I wanted to be a part of changing that. And so I went into advertising. So throughout my career, you can even start to see early on, I always had this responsibility, especially to people that look like me. Yeah. I started this internship at this ad agency and, you know, I graduated. So I was broke. And I just really needed them to hire me full time, but it was the economic downturn. They're on a hiring freeze and I had landed another internship. I was going to go to D.C. and intern with the Congressional Black Caucus. And I had gotten my assignment for my the um, politician I was going to be staffing under and he passed away. The senator passed away. And so they called me and they were like, you know, we're trying to figure out Your assignment. And I was like, listen, that really sounds like that's one door closing. And I listen, I need to get this money. So I the agency I was with extended my internship, extended my internship,
1: Praise
0: praise God. And then two weeks after that, someone at the agency resigned and it created an opening for them to be able to hire me. Wow. And the rest is history. I stayed at that agency for a couple of years, went on to other agencies, and I decided that I you know, wanted to continue my education, went to get my MBA back close to home. I went to the University of Michigan, go blue. Go blue. And um, then came back to Minneapolis and started my career at General Mills and was you know working in brand management and growing more and more engaged in DEI work. And this will not be a surprise, I'm sure, to a lot of your listeners, but you know, especially when you are, you know, black and in corporate, there is the black tax. We are required and expected to do over and above on our day job. Right? We are excelling on our teams and we are recruiting and we're traveling to evangelize the organization and we're leading in the employee resource group. So much work. You know, and we're you know, um, speaking truth to power to make it a better place. And we're doing all of these things. And so I was very, very active in our employee resource group and diversity recruiting leading in our inclusion, um, spaces. And that was just becoming a bigger passion of mine. Um, and then George Floyd was murdered right here in Minneapolis where I was living and, the same day that we were all finding out about the murder of George Floyd, you know, some of us are watching that horrific video. I found out that I was pregnant that same day. Mm. So, my husband comes home from work and we're talking about the news. We're talking about the story that's developing around Mr. George Floyd. And I'm like, let's take a pause from talking about that for a minute. I have something else to tell you. Wow. And I really carried for all of my pregnancy, I think, just this immense kind of duality of both grief and joy. Mm. And it really, I think, awakened a different sense of duty in this particular moment in my community. I was really aware that, especially after I found out that I was having a boy, that I needed to do something to create a better world for my Black son. Mm. And I wanted to be an example to my son, similar to how my mother was an example to me. We will be reading about this time in our history books, right? What is happening in the world, it will be documented. And I wanted my son to know, above all else, that one... Your parents did not do anything or they didn't do nothing. They chose to take action where they could. Mm. Um, And I wanted to be an example for him that if you ever see anything wrong in the world, that you have the power and you have the agency to change it. Mm. (laughs) And that really led me to looking for a new job opportunity. And I didn't know what I was looking for. I had been a marketer for most of my career. And so I thought I was looking for, you know, multicultural marketing jobs or jobs with brands that had a primarily black consumer or something like that. And I learned about the formation of the Minnesota Business Coalition for Racial Equity. The company that I was working for, General Mills, was a founding member. And I learned they were looking for a leader. And but I never thought that it would be right for me. I wasn't a nonprofit leader. I'm over here running businesses, building brands. Like I like the compensation package I have, like, you know, all those things I did not ever consider going into the nonprofit world or maybe once I was nearing retirement, but certainly not at that point in my career. Um, But the more I learned about what this organization needed, it was clear to me that it needed a lot of what I like to do and the skill set that I had. And that was really a reminder for me. And I think it can be a reminder to a lot of people that um, you have a lot to offer in different places and spaces. Mm -hmm. And if you are somewhere that is not fulfilling you and it's not speaking to all of you, what you've learned or what you gain can be of tremendous value elsewhere. Yeah. And I decided to take on this responsibility to be this organization's very first managing director. No one has had this job before. Yes. I was essentially building this organization from the ground up and have had the incredible fortune, I'd say, of, you know, once I'd expressed interest in the role, I went back to my company, General Mills, and said and asked if they would sponsor me. And they said yes. So I'm still technically a General Mills employee. They pay my salary and benefits at 100, percent and I lead this organization full time.
1: Okay, now wait a minute. Now let me pull out my. I'm about to start hooping. God is over your life. He is. Listen. He is yeah. moving. You hear me? Hold on. Mm-hmm. I'm about to pull out. Pull out this this track. My goodness. That's in. Yeah. That's incredible. You know, you said yeah. something. You said something earlier though about the duality of your, of, you know, the duality you were, you were working, you were, you were dealing with. Right. I wonder also like in this, uh, the duality of like joy and grief Did any level, any part of that grief also have to, was, was there anxiety? Right. I mean, like there's so many different emotions I would imagine. Right. Like we've had so many people on here, like over the years of living corporate talking about black uh, black maternal health and mortality, mm-hmm. like you are, those are already things you're carrying. Period. Without yeah. without the televised murder of a man for sep- you know for years, and minutes. we're
0: in we're in the midst of a pandemic, right? We're in the we are in the heart of a pandemic. I'm going to all of my doctor's appointments by myself without my husband. Um, you know, I'm masked up. I'm taking a COVID test every week when I go to the doctor. I mean, all of these things. Um, it was a lot. And I am so grateful to now lead this organization and to have the impact that we've had because it has been a—it's been my therapy. Yeah, it's been a release valve for me.
1: I just—that's—that's just—that's—that's uh, that's so incredible. You know, I recall, I recall being and not. Of course, I'm—I'm I'm not a woman, right? I—I I do not have a uterus, so I—so I did not bring my daughter into the world. But I remember. My first daughter being born at the beginning of the pandemic, and I remember just the world being what it was. I remember my I remember seeing George when my daughter was a, an infant, right when that when when that murder happened, and I remember having a renewed sense of purpose and focus. Uh, grief, also though, like mm-hmm. immense grief um, yeah. at at that. And then, you know, just how small the world is. I think, you know, they talk about six degrees of separation for most people. You know, like, black folks are more, more like two and a half, three degrees. And so, like, what was crazy about that situation was, and I, I, I believe I've shared this before on, on Living Corporate, like, on the record. So, so my father lived a couple miles away from George Floyd's killer.
0: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, my, you know, my siblings and everybody they live up in Minnesota. George Floyd was in ministry with people that I was in direct ministry with when he lived in Houston. So, oh so it was just so um, sad. Right. And just, mm-hmm. and, and, and it felt extremely personal and visceral uh, because it's mm-hmm. some, you know, it's like, man, that could happen. And then, you know, dad's talking, my dad's talking about all the protests. He's seen the cars driving by his place. They protesting this dude's house over here. My siblings wanting to go to the protest. And my dad's having arguments with them about being safe. And so it's just, a lot going on, you know, but there's something though. I will say the reason I said the whole thing about just God being on your life. And I do got these, hold on. I'm about to turn it up. Cause, cause mm, it's crazy. Like that's insane. Like you mm-hmm. took a job, mm-hmm. but then went back to general mills and told, and they paid. They, you still work at general mills, but you did over here.
0: Yeah. They pay me. And so that's, you know, when you ask the question of how I got here, I have to know that this is divine, that I was meant to be here.
1: A hundred percent. I'm going to go to, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to, I'm more of a, I'm more of a default. <laughs> yeah. That's more of my range. But so for in the future, as a, if, 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 if I'm called to hoop again, I'll be ready. So, okay. but, but the okay. point, the point for me though, is like, <laughs> there's something about leveraging your voice right mm-hmm. and to your like going like honoring the legacy of your mother um and the, and the legacy that you're handing to your to your to your son um cuz that's bold that's bold to say hey i really want to do this cuz i would say my pain my my pushback to you is if was going to it was, gonna, it was still, still is is absolutely like you should go somewhere where you're celebrated and where people are going to see all of you you're probably, yes. honestly, though, Tiffany, one of the few people I've had on Living Corp, without airing nobody out, that is being fully, sub- like, who is being supported in that way. Like, that is so mm. rare, right? You don't know. you. Can, mm. I can't tell you how many countless incredible, brilliant black and brown minds and white minds, too, because y'all be thinking, we don't talk to white people I live Living Corporate. We talk to everybody. Relax. All right? <laughs> How many brilliant minds we've had on on our on our all of, on the network across our shows, who who are not really supported, right? Yes, who who are who are chiefs in name but like senior managers in practice, and and, mm-hmm. and and levels of support. And so you know, there's just that's just incredible. Um, so so you're in this you're in this role, you're in this function, and we talk about like the Biz Coalition for racial equity the Mi- the Minnesota Business Coalition for Racial Equity what does your job look like like what are the goals like what are you yeah. what are you trying to achieve mm-hmm. especially you know we're recording this recording this at the top of 2024 as you look at 2024 we're in this in this election year the landscape of DEI and frankly any word that has DE or I in it um <laughs> is is under massive scrutiny and t- like what what are your goals right now what are you
0: trying to yeah, do yeah. Um, So let me start with just kind of grounding in what the coalition is and what we do. So the Minnesota Business Coalition for Racial Equity is a consortium of large corporations and organizations that are either headquartered in the state of Minnesota or that have large operations here. Minnesota is the home to a lot of um, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. Uh, So there's a lot of corporate power and kind of economic influence here in the state of Minnesota. And this coalition was formed, you know, in the weeks following the murder of George Floyd in the midst of this racial uprising, really as a recognition that the business community both could and should be doing more to positively impact the lives of black Minnesotans. Minnesota is has some of the most stark disparities between black residents and white residents, choose your dimension. You wanna talk about household income, you wanna talk about home ownership, you want to talk about um, the opportunities that our children have in the schools, whatever it is, um, our black residents and our white residents. There is a very stark difference. But, but um, Tiffany, wait a minute. How could that be possible? So-
1: how can that be possible when Minnesota isn't the South? I thought only the South had problems with race and, and class and ethnicity and gender. So help me understand how <laughs> Minnesota, which is not in the South, and one would say. Because the more northern you go, the less racist it is, right? Help me understand why Minnesota has all these problems. What's up with that? That's
0: absolutely (laughs) not true, right? Um, And I know you are saying that in jest. And Minnesota, I mean, I've heard people call it, you know, the Mississippi of the north.
1: Hot damn. Pardon me, in-laws and my parents, but doggone it. (laughs) What? People um, call Minnesota the Mississippi. Now you're not going to just skate by that. People call Minnesota the Mississippi of the North. You know, I lived there for yeah. a couple of years. I didn't know that. I lived in Woodbury. Uh, that's yeah. crazy.
0: Woodbury. <laughs> yeah. Because of a lot of those disparities, right? I mean, the home ownership gap in the Twin Cities specifically between black Families and white families, that gap is one of the large is the largest in the country. Wow. Um, and we know the importance that home ownership plays in wealth creation and sustaining wealth for a family, right? So we just use that one, one example I lift up, um, and yeah, I mean, I think it is such a an opportunity. Minnesota presents such an opportunity for America to really examine the things that are wrong. And I think that's one of the reasons why what happened in 2020 and this essentially public lynching of George Floyd, why it had the impact nationally and globally, because Minnesota provided just a really strong case and look at the way that racism and historical prejudice continues to plague communities and the way that it shows up and rears its ugly head every single day. Like, I don't think that it is coincidental that George Floyd is killed here and Minnesota has some of the disparities that it has because it forced us as a country to really evaluate why that's how that's possible um and what is it about this place that makes disparities like that persist?
1: You know, and I'm again I'm just so excited. I, I can, we're gonna have to do a part two. I can I can already tell because we bought we're gonna ride out of time. And that's okay. I ain't mad. <laughs> if we just have you back, it's no problem. Um here's here's my thing when I think about corporate coalitions and work, right? Especially as we look at the landscape today, after George Ford's murder, we saw a ton of folks get new jobs. Saw a lot of white folks rebrand themselves as some type of equity and consultant, whatever. A lot of folks made a lot of money. We saw brands make a lot of large, quote-unquote large... We had Shantara on. I don't know if you caught that show. but well, that was just recently. We had Shantara on, and we were talking about how some of these brands they be playing with us in some of the some of the some of these pledge amounts. I we gonna talk offline because I want us to work together. So I ain't trying to like alienate nobody before I before I get my bag. But I'm just saying, some of these brands though, Tiffany, they'll be like, oh, we're pledging five million dollars over the next ten years, and it's like, okay, that's not really like. But even still, even with some of these like fairly ornamental and like performative pledges, we're seeing organizations backtrack on that. So like. Mm-hmm you know, as you think about your role today and the work you're doing today, like what conversations are you having with these organizations as they either are making these decisions or are exploring making those decisions?
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, the first thing that we've been talking a lot about is that the conditions that created this coalition are not the same conditions that we're operating in today. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we, Rewind, you know, almost four years. There was a willingness and um, a almost a responsibility and obligation for companies to make commitments. As I think about the commitments that our member organizations have made, not not only kind of individually in their own companies, but together, the work that our members do together is is around employment opportunity. What are the ways in which we are driving higher levels of Black representation in our member companies around Black business development? How are we contributing to a thriving ecosystem for Black entrepreneurs here in the state of Minnesota with the ultimate goal of spending with Black suppliers in our member companies? How can we build that procurement pipeline while we recognize there are a number of hurdles that exist before a small Black-owned business could serve as a supplier to a global enterprise, right? There's a lot of a hurdles lot. that Black people can't clear and a lot of reasons why we have not historically mm-hmm. been able to clear them. And then the last commitment for us or our focus is community well-being, which we define as advancing just practices in housing, safety, and policing. And I, my favorite part of that is the safety and policing part hmm. because... We cannot forget that a lot of the work that was catalyzed in 2020 was the result of a public safety tragedy. And it is a reminder that there is still so much work to be done. And as the work and conversations meander and we get further and further away from conversations about justice and conversations about policing, right? We cannot forget that that work still needs to be done, that the issues and challenges that led to something like um, the murder of George Floyd, that many of those issues still persist and they must be addressed. And so I am grateful to lead a coalition where members have not or are not losing sight of that. Um, But to get back to your point in terms of how the conversation has evolved, I mean, people were guns a blazing in 2020. I mean, they was they was they
1: was going (laughs) they was going in.
0: Anything you needed, you could get.
1: Let me tell you something. I was walking down the street one time, Tiffany, and some white person handed me an ice cream cone for no reason, (laughs) kissed me on the cheek, and ran off. I said, oh, my God.
0: Listen, I'll believe it, okay? I mean, everybody was in it, okay? I mean, we had everybody was in it. To the point where um, people were in it for the wrong reasons. Right. Right. And now, especially now, We are really seeing what organizations are serious, which organizations are holding to their commitments or doubling down on those commitments, because right now it is not popular to do so. And there is a broader conversation about risk and your exposure to risk in an organization. Um, And a lot of the work that we've even had to start doing with our members is around helping them to navigate the current political and legislative environment, equipping them with information and tools and resources for those that really want to continue to invest and stay committed. And they need tools, right? They need information. They need resources to help them go and advocate and influence inside of these large corporations for continued investment in DEI or impact-focused initiatives.
1: I I I just I think I'm just so excited about and like I, I it it gives me some degree of hope and I'm gonna be honest I'm a fairly pessimistic person at this point because I mean I'm a black man in America like what do you expect but I think to hear someone who exists at the intersection of organizational policy for mm-hmm. fair experiences for um and the employees but also uh, at, at and then and then also at the intersection of corporate citizenship mm-hmm. like at the local economic level is exciting like that's really really great um you know as you think about I'd love to hear more about like the work that that you that y'all are leading or the role that y'all may play in data um and reporting you know when I think about like real impact over time and accountability and i had a uh, I had a someone great, his name is John Graham. Um, a brother, a brilliant brother. We had a we had a conversation recently and he said that transparency is the new uh trust, right? Mm. Um, which I just I was like, man, that's just so dope. That's so brilliant. Um mm-hmm. what does it look it's like? Perfect. What do you think it's gonna take for or or does this exist already of your member organizations all sharing all of their HRIS data to show all their employee experience data in one centralized space where we could do some type of other you laughing already. OK, so OK, you, okay so I'm going I'm to go. I'm going to land plain, I'm a plane. I'm going to let you go. So a one centralized place, even working with like a day analytics partner, like living corporate. I don't know. Just an example. Uh, to then create transparency capital. you could even anonymize the company in terms of like it's not like this set comes from this place and this set comes, this, but just to sh- so that we can all know where we're at and where we're going and we can have like a facts and objective based reference yeah. as to what we're doing talk to me about that work and where that yeah. is if it's no if it's if it's far along if it's not i just love to hear your perspective yeah. on it
0: i mean it's coming and i i'm so glad you brought it up because we're at a place now in this movement and the work where it really cannot be done without metrics and transparent information. Right. We had the fortune of for a couple years, we were just riding on emotion. Yeah. People were feeling guilty. They were making commitments because... They were kind of afraid of what might happen if they didn't mm-hmm. um, and so we were able to get by just with the popularity of talking about racial equity, yes now, with challenges you can't we cannot pretend about what we're measuring or not measuring right and The coalition is actually just starting a work stream around collecting data from our members that we have assured members will be anonymized. And for us, it's only to be used in aggregate. Great. It's not about what an individual company is or isn't doing. Right. Because we are a coalition and we are greater Mm -hmm. together. It's about the impact that we can all have. And so we want to see collectively where our members stand, where we're going, going, what's realistic, what's not realistic, illuminate where there are opportunities so that we can run towards those opportunities in alignment and much faster than we have been. And we can't do that without information. We can't do it without data.
1: I'm just, oh, you you know, oh, keep going. on you
0: And I'm just going to say that, you know, it is the companies are extremely protective as they should be Mm -hmm. um, about their information and especially about their employee engagement or employee employee experience information, right? Um, It's kind of part of their secret sauce, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when an organization makes a commitment to be better, in the communities in which it operates, for the communities in which it serves. And especially in the context of NBCRE or this coalition that I lead, you've made a commitment to lock arms and join forces with other companies in your industry, outside of your industry. We need somewhat of a peek under the table so that we know where we're going and so that we can hold one another accountable collectively. That's the other piece of it. A lot of times we don't want to share information because we don't want to be held accountable or we're afraid that the numbers are still too close to zero.
1: Cuz and, and here's the thing, right? And I you know, I talk about this all the time. It's funny. What so a couple of things. First of all, 100% right, like the the future of any of this work related to anything related to experience, fairness, equity, inclusion has to be data driven. Like the days of writing on emotion, depending on or latching onto emotionality, I think those days are genuinely done. Right, at least, at least, at least. You know, you know, history kind of is cyclical. So until the next thing happens in like thirty years, and then you know, but but for but in this active lifetime we're in, you know, it's done. The other thing that's interesting is is that I think brands they over they overestimate how much grace large majority white consumers will give for anything above literal zero right so like so like you think about price white house coopers every year they drop that little diversity report and every year they'd be like here's our little programs up all y'all little poor black and brown people and every year tiffany it's like just above zero it's like flat with like attitude it's like it's <laughs> 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 and so and and people champion it every year, right? One
0: because it's, it's progress.
1: It's progress. It's progress. And yeah. and Tiffany, people don't like math like that. People don't like to read. Mm-hmm. So as long as you just show them it's not negative and it's just a it's just a little bit better. And if it's just a little, I mean teensy inchy bit, a smidge better than flat. Hey, you're going to you're going you're going to be up there. You're going to get the uh, what's that award, people? the HRC award, whatever, all them little awards. You're going to be all, the human re, the dah, 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 index and all these other little pay for play awards. You're going to be mm-hmm. just fine. And so I'm excited about that work. I'm excited about the fact that like you've but but it's also a testament to your leadership that you've been able to build enough trust equity for brands to share the information. Right, and then who's to say maybe over time, as you show insight with the data you're capturing, there'll be a a a, a, a there'll be less reticence to maybe for them to see more of themselves in the, in the mirror, and maybe we can de de we can deaggregate the information a little bit more for y'all to see and analyze, so that we can actually make even more progress. Now look, I said we're gonna do a part two. Um, this is your fault. You too fire. Like this is. Uh, <laughs> I feel
0: like we haven't talked about anything that we, of the work that
1: we're doing. We didn't talk. We, we, we did it. But, but here's the thing, though. It was a... But here's the thing. I am so excited to have you back. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you for setting the stage and letting us know kind of like what the landscape is today. We want to have you back, and we will. Um, before we pause for part two, which is going to happen sooner than later, I'm going to work with your team. Um, okay. Talk to me about Like, top three things executive leadership teams need to know right now to make their work experiences more fair. Give me those and we'll be out of here.
0: Mm, Top three things. Um, I mean, I think the first is your DEI initiatives or whatever you want to call it, right? It must be built into your core business strategy. So often, organizations want to hold whatever cultural impact or DEI work separate. It's like, hey, we are in the business of X, Y, or Z. We sell and make widgets. We want to sell and make widgets. And oh, by the way, we want a diverse workforce and whatever. And you have got to build a narrative that brings those two things kind of in lockstep with one another. Because if you don't, then there will always be a, you're always balancing the priorities and it will always fall off the list. So that's the first thing that I've got to say. You got to do the work organizationally at the very top of the house to think about how this work aligns with your corporate mission and your values and your current growth plans. The second thing is you have to hold people accountable. And accountability comes through measurement and incentives. People do what they're paid to do, full stop. You cannot set an expectation in an organization that your leaders or your managers or people or whatever it may be all the way down to the front line of the organization, that they are prioritizing diversity, they're prioritizing equity, they're prioritizing inclusion if they are not being incentivized to do so. And I mean that it is showing up on their annual objectives and there is a connection between those annual objectives and how they are paid or their bonus structure, right? If there is no connection there, people are not just doing it because this is hard work. And then the third thing I'd say is you have to lead by example. You have to set the tone as a leader in the organization, model the behaviors, champion great examples acknowledge when there is a misstep learn from those missteps to encourage the behavior throughout the organization those would be the top three things that i'd say executives should be focused on
1: tiffany daniels i cannot wait for us to have part two shout out to all the incredible work and leadership that you've demonstrated and shout out to you for honoring your mother and working in your purpose because it's you know when you walk in your purpose so often not not so often when you walk in your purpose, I I I'm a believer that God honors that, I do. Yes. I really believe that. I believe that things that really shouldn't happen, quote unquote, shouldn't happen and don't make sense, suddenly just start popping off because you're honoring your purpose. That's so yes. dope. Yes. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I know I know we're running out of time, but I no, think it's you know, our when I made the choice to pursue this role in leading in BCRE, I felt like it was me honoring the gifts and talents that God has given me, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I feel very much in obedience around this mission, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, when you are operating in your purpose, you are using the gifts that God gave you, then, you know, we hear people say all the time, your gifts will make room for you, right? Like it will things will just start clicking it will line up it'll just happen right um your path will be made easier right things that felt difficult or the fights you feel like you were having those won't happen anymore and that is your proof when you are walking in your purpose and you are in alignment with what you should be doing in in that particular moment
1: keep going Tiffany,
0: He's
1: a- I know. I'm, am and I'm. I told you where I'm from. Tell you where my people from. You know what I'm saying. So, uh, look, been a pleasure. a friend of the show. Can't wait for part two. Let's talk soon. Peace, Tiffany. Thank you so much, Zach.
0: Have a good one.
1: And we're back, yo. I want to thank our guests. I want to I want to say uh, much love to the entire Living Corporate team. Thank you for you, you. That's right, you. Listen to this right now, driving in your car, or on the subway, or you know what I'm saying working out, or just listening late at night while you you know what I'm saying doing some work or something. Thank you for being a part of our Living Corporate community. I appreciate you. Make sure, if you haven't already, that you create a login on living-corporate.com where you can actually get all this content pushed to you based on the types of things that you want to engage and listen to. Make sure you actually go to living-corporate.com for jobs and uh, career advice and all types of just dope content that we got on there and that we're publishing every single day, all right? Till next time, this has been Zach. I'll catch you soon. Peace.